we've been in this series called Made for More, and uh, the subtitle of this series is Be Everything You Were Created to Be. And to get you a, l- a little bit caught up, uh, first and foremost, I just keep, keep hammering this, and we've been getting more questions via email, but we have Conversation Sunday coming up at the end of this series as we're processing through, hey, who am I created to be, and, and processing what that might look like for each and every one of us personally. Uh, we just want you to engage with some questions that we have available on our website. Really simple, our website, poncacitychurch.com. Everything that you want to know, any information about ways to get plugged in at our church are available on our website, as well as a question area for you to digitally submit questions. You can also submit questions, any questions that you have, uh, also at our Connect table, which is our our new visitors table uh, out in the coffee bar. And we just want you to ask questions so we can create a whole Sunday service around engaging with those questions. And I'm excited. I'm excited about the conversation that we're going to have concerning some of the things that are bubbling up out of each and every one of us uh, given in this series of of who or what were we created to do, right? So just to get us a little bit caught up from last week, uh, last week the title of the message was More Motivation. And uh, we've been looking, as I mentioned, at Ephesians, which is this letter that this guy Paul wrote who uh, was rocked by Jesus and became one of the main writers in what we call the Christian Bible, the New Testament, right? Uh, Paul is attributed to penning about one-third of what we would call the Christian Bible, right? And we're looking specifically at this letter in Ephesians, which is one of what's known as the prison epistles. When uh, this man named Paul was actually under house arrest, and knowing that his back was up against the wall, his faith was up against the wall in a very hostile Roman environment. So he's, he's writing this letter with this fervency of, if the church, if I'm all in with Jesus, if I believe Jesus is bigger than everything, if I believe in the vision of how Jesus is solving the issues of the world, dealing with the issue of sin in our world and evil, right? Restoring right relationship with us, with God, right? Because of, because of that brokenness that exists as humanity, right? He's writing with this passion, believing in the vision of this thing called the church that, that Jesus designed and sent out in the world to be a solution to the world's problems, right? So he's writing with this passion. He's writing knowing that these could be the very last words that he writes, and he wants and desperately desires the church to be so effective. So we've been going piece by piece, chapter by chapter, looking at key verses and unpacking this vision that God has and what it would look like for us as the church to be a good witness in our society of God's heart, his mission, what life with Jesus looks like. And last week we really resolved on on, on one key kind of kind of point as we talked about motivation and it'll be up on the screen and it's this it's in order to make a difference we need to first know he's already made the difference because I think I think the thing is is each and every one of us we have a desire to do something in the world we have a desire to like be effective we have a desire to not be like bumps on a log in our in this thing called life we actually want to make a difference but the first foundation we need to understand in order to keep the fuel going for the fire that exists, being passionate about serving other human beings. Because sometimes, how many of you guys know, it's, it's hard to serve people who are different than you. Sometimes it's hard to serve people that think differently than you. Hard to serve people that have a different worldview than you. What we established last week is we need to understand that the foundation that's going to keep the fuel going for us to be exactly who God created us to be, it has to be under this understanding and under the reality that Jesus has already made the difference. He's the foundation, and the difference that he made was by dying on the cross for us, a display of something that's called perfect love. We can define love in so many different ways in our culture, but Jesus defined the type of love that's one that is sacrificial, 
the one that literally goes before us and chooses to die for us. And that love is so massive that when we dip into that pool, that ocean of love, even when we just have a teaspoon, it becomes an indicator and the fuel that's going to allow us to keep moving forward. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be people that get in our way. You're going to have people that literally don't believe in you and come up against you being exactly who God's created you to be. And the only sustaining power that's going to keep you going is this massive unlimited ocean of God's love that was displayed on a cross for you and I because he loves us that much. See, in order for us to make a difference, we have to build our difference making on the foundation of the difference that he's already made simply because of the profound love that he displayed for us on the cross. Human motivation will only take us so far, but God's love is an endless fuel source. And if we truly want to make a difference under this assumption, we got to come to realities of what we were calling, we've been calling our sweet spot of what we would say is our calling in three areas. And up on the screen, we're going to look at that, right? Our sweet spot intersection of our calling, our primary calling or really, and, and, and what we're uniquely called to do kind of comes under the assumption of three, three main questions. B, which is who am I created to be? That's our identity. Do, what am I made to do? That's our mission, life mission. And go, where do I fit in? The position, where am I supposed to be, right? And we find this intersection so beautifully displayed in the scriptures as Jesus paints a vision for our lives and what that looks like. And first comes under the idea of our primary calling, which will be up on the screen, and our unique calling, which is this intersection. So what, is, what does the sweet spot look like as a follower of Jesus in terms of what we're supposed to establish while we're on this earth, right? The primary calling that we have, Jesus has called us to do, it's not, it's not like hidden. It's not like the secret thing that you have to navigate the scriptures for. It's actually the mission that he called each and every one of us to do. It's the primary calling of what we're supposed to invest in our lives as believers. And it's this. It's we're called to be disciple who makes disciples wherever we are. That sweet spot intersection of, of, of those three areas gives us this primary calling of understanding. First and foremost, we're called to be followers of Jesus that grow in the likeness of Jesus, but also multiply ourselves, not based on church culture, not based on like how everybody behaves at church, but based on what it means to be Christ-like. Multiplying that out of our lives, investing in other people, helping others become disciples. And we do that wherever we're at. Wherever there's people, there's opportunity. That's what's so amazing. Wherever there's people is this massive amount of resources that God believes in and God treats as royalty and treasure, as his people. Amen? And then we have this thing called the personal calling, which we looked at in Ephesians chapter 2. The reality that, yes, there's this massive calling that we participate in, but specifically for each and every one of us, we all have a personal sweet spot. And it's under the intersection that I am uniquely made, the B, to do good works and deeds, the do, wherever I can be most effective. This is more entrepreneurial. This is more having to discover and wrestle with what this looks like for you. Your name isn't written in the scripture saying, this is your specific assignment, thus says the Lord. No, we have to actually navigate and understand how has God created us. God has created you uniquely unlike anyone else that you're sitting here in the sanctuary with. Unlike anyone else in, in our city. Unlike anyone else in the world, you are unique and God has created you specifically to partner with his mission to make a massive difference in the world that we live in. The church is called to be the fullness of Jesus into every nook and cranny of society. Like water that fills and saturates an aquarium, Jesus is sending his church to saturate our city, region, and world. That's how we're going to change the world together. 
being sent people, understanding who God's created each and every one of us to be. And lastly, we've been talking a lot about our commitment as a church, and it'll be up on the screen, and it's kind of encapsulated in this phrase of you can do it, we can help. Home Depot came up with this phrase as one of their marketing campaigns many years ago. Um, you can do it, we can help. Meaning this, because this isn't Pastor and, TD Cal- and Pastor TD and Callie's vision, this isn't our staff's vision, but rather the vision for our church is the, we want to partner with the vision of Jesus, that he's sending out his church as this mosaic of unique masterpieces, each and every one of us called under the submission of Jesus' vision, but pursuing our unique mission and vision for our lives, how God's created each and every one of us to fulfill the vision he's placed in our hearts, to invite people into God's heart, his love, his passion, his kingdom purposes, and how he has a lens on our world that says, I love this world so much that I'd die for it. How are we doing that? It's this unstoppable collective whole around the power and presence of God called the church. Jesus is more, and because of that, we are made for more. Amen? So we're going to look at, in the title this morning, as we transition, the title is this, More Missionaries. More missionaries. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And here's, here's what I understand. You, you can see the massive, massive vision of Jesus. Ephesians 1 clued us in to understand that everything's under Jesus' feet. That means everything. The cosmos. Like nothing compares to the massive size of what Jesus wants to accomplish and how massive he is. Luckily for us, God is not robotic. We've been given free will. So in the midst of a world filled with so much pain, sin, and evil, God does not operate robotically, but allows his church to give an opportunity to push back on the gates of hell, to push back on the purposes of evil and invite others into this powerful reality of his kingdom and the freedom that he offers in an abundant life that he has a massive vision for. We can see this vision. The church can be talk about how they're built upon this vision. We can understand our motivation, the unlimited love source that God provides and the love that he has for us. We can see the vision. We can be motivated in all the right places, but then the question that's begged for is how do we organize this? How do we, get, how do we accomplish this? What does organizing this kind of world mission look like? And the key word this morning is missionaries. Missionaries. And a good key question for each and every one of us is, do you see yourself as a missionary? Do you see yourself as a missionary? And I believe missionaries is directly related to the organization and the vision that God had for his church. And we're going to clue ourselves into that in Ephesians chapter 4 and look at what Paul writes in regards to this organizational style of Jesus. So we're going to look at together Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So we're going to read this together. It will be up on the screen. It says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Right? There it is. That unique calling, this work of service that's unique to each and every one of us. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I love that. The fullness of Christ. There it is. The fullness of Christ has already been defined up to this point. The fullness of Christ is the church of Jesus literally going into society, fulfilling each God-given mission, and representing the fullness of what Jesus wants to express in our city, in our nation, in our world. 
But we got to continue to pursue and attain to that. And it says in verse 14, it goes on, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. We'll be grown-ups. We will no longer be spoon-fed type of believers and followers of Jesus. Blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Man, we get really insecure when we start buying into the insecurities others speak into our lives. But it's so important for us to know and not be shaken of what our foundation is. What we're building upon, the truth of God and what he's called us to do during our time on this earth. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. There's a massive vision for the church here. What does a mature, beautiful bride look like? The bride of Christ, man. It looks like the church being sent out to, in every nook and cranny of society to express the fullness of what Jesus wants to express. Verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Come on. We are a community of love, the unlimited source of love, the foundation of love. Love, once again, is the motivation. Paul has been building in Ephesians chapter 1 all the way to Ephesians chapter 4. And now he's, he's cluing us in. How is this thing organized? What does this thing actually look like playing out in the world? Does it look like the way that we've thought about church in our minds, in our heads? Does it line up? Does what Paul encouraged as the witness to the world line up with some of our maybe our previous church expressions or experiences these are hard deep questions but here's what i truly believe god wants to reveal something so specific to each and every one of us this morning and i believe he, he wants to do that so personally and in depth for each and every one of us uniquely so as we continue can we can we just pray really quick and then we'll continue lord we're so thankful for your word we're so thankful that your word is pinnacle to us in terms of the lens and how we pursue, live, and express our lives. Lord, sometimes we want to apply our preferences, our way. But this morning we're saying we submit under your vision, your way. Your, 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 your will. God, you are supreme. Not our preferences, not our experiences, not the way that we've seen it done. We're, 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 we're laying that stuff down at your feet right now and saying we're, we're bringing it back to you. We're bringing it back to the witness of a beautiful church in the midst of massive Roman persecution that somehow multiplied itself out of that heinous martyrdom and evil and multiplied out into billions of Christians today. We're on board with that organization. We're on board with that leadership. We're on board with that game plan, Lord. So help us filter through what that looks like for us this morning. Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Here, here's what I know. Unleashing the more, believing that God wants more for us, that we are made for more, it's really tied into this original design that Jesus thought about in terms of the body of Christ, in terms of his church. That Jesus gifts the church with different roles to help organize it for more fullness. I love of the diversity the ligaments, the body metaphor to say that, man, although Christ is the head, we represent his body. And each and every one of us represent different parts of the body. Different parts that help sustain the body into full health. We don't want to be a sick body that's missing organs, but we want to be representative of the gifts and the diversity that rise up and make up this big, beautiful witness that is a healthy body for the world. You know, it's not about establishing 
a pyramid to Jesus with a few at the top. But Jesus' organizational style is literally one where you establish a team of equippers who unleash an infinite number of missionaries. Where they live, where they work, where they learn, where they play. You know, it's interesting. We think many times in leadership, we think of that pyramid model because that's what we're used to. We're used to hierarchy. We're used to the top-down type of leadership, but Jesus was constantly leading with a bottom-down type of leadership. I'm going to serve you by washing your feet. I'm going to lead out of a servanthood. I'm going to lead from a place that says, I'm giving up all the rights and the authority that I have as the massive God where everything sits under his feet. This Jesus has the power to be the most domineering, dominant, powerful force in leadership ever. But the avenue he chooses is one of servanthood. The avenue he chooses is one of, isn't one that lines up with what many of us are familiar with, a pyramid type of leadership. But it represents one where that pyramid of domination gets flipped upside down. Where we serve those on the ground. And we release missionaries to go live out being heroes in their corners of culture. Where they live, where they work, where they learn and play. Jesus is the ultimate hero. But he's a hero maker. Releasing his church on behalf of his power and his presence. To do and multiply the work that he wants to accomplish in the world. And here's what I know. This isn't a prescriptive formula in Ephesians chapter 4. But it's interesting because Jesus gives a gift in five specific roles. And when you look at these five specific roles, these are influencing styles. And when you think about organizational leadership, I know we got some marketplace leaders and people in the room this morning. You look at these different five kind of gift sets, influencing styles that, that's listed here in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and, and you've got to argue and you would, you'd have to receive and understand that you need all of these types of leadership gifts and influencing styles in any type of successful organization. It's interesting when we look at Jesus' organizational style. He was and he continues to be the organizational goat, the greatest of all time. Many times in our leadership literature, we're trying to reinvent the wheel, but let's clue in to this ancient, reliable document, hundreds of years, years old, and see what Jesus thought about when he was thinking up this multiplicative human force to be reckoned with that represents the fullness of himself in the world called the church. Let's look at these five styles up on the screen. Apostle. Apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle, one who extends and expands. Think about the apostle Paul and all of his missionary work throughout the New Testament, right? He was all over the place. He was helping be a force to be reckoned with, expanding the vision of the church. These are your scalers. These are your pioneers. These are the ones breaking new ground. What Paul was doing, no one else had ever done before because it was brand new because God was doing something new. You want somebody like that on your team. You want an apostolic 
person. You want people to take risks and break new ground and move away forward. We need apostles in 2019 as we move away forward, as we pioneer new ventures and how the church expresses itself and God's heart to the culture that we live in. God cares about where we sit in the timeline of history, and his love has never been devalued. His love has stayed consistent for the humans that he loves so much in this generation, in generations past, in generations to come. What about prophet? Ah, yes, the prophet. The one who questions and critiques. The one who's, the one who's keeping us true to our vision, our values. The guardians. The ones who are encouraging us to stay the course, the ones who are keeping us on course for what's to come, making sure we're staying true to who God's called us to be. I love the prophetic gifting mentioned here. What about an evangelist? An evangelist, right? That word has been defined and maybe different things pop in your head when you think of an evangelist because you're really thinking about a church model probably of how it's been expressed in the past. But evangelist is simply one who recruits to the cause. And a recruiter. Hey, get on. I need to tell you about this. I need to tell you about this goodness. I need to inform you about God's heart for the world, his love for you, what he's done for you, the good news that transcends generation after generation. Because if you're a human being, come on, you're not perfect, you're broken, you fall short of the glory of God. But let me invite you into meeting a God who's already done it for you so that you can make a difference and live this life on earth, an abundant life, inviting others to the same party that Jesus died for. The same current reality and future reality of his power and presence overwhelming and saturating the earth. The evangelist is one who naturally is infectious to enlist raving fans. Good marketing. Jesus was thinking about that. What does it look like to be a good witness? What does it look like of how we attract others to the most attractive? thing in the world when it comes to the depth of what our souls are aching for. What about a shepherd? A shepherd, also known as a pastor, right? One who creates and helps nurture the community into health. One who's nurturing, helping, caring about growth, caring about the spiritual health of other people, caring about what it means to live out our faith and be on a trajectory that looks more and more in the direction of Jesus. And when people are headed in the other direction, it's like, hey, let me, come on, herd you back into the right direction. Help you take steps to grow and express your faith. We are in a trajectory where we have an opportunity each and every day to be people that choose to keep growing or choose to be people that head in the opposite direction. A shepherd helps with this. A teacher. We need teachers. These are the ones who explain and organize. These are your project managers, your engineers, the ones that help bring knowledge and truth into action and impact, right? The ones who help explain things so that we can be trained to go do, right? We need all of these five amazing organizational leadership gifts that are talked about in this massive vision Paul is expressing to the church during this time. He's showing Jesus his vision. And, and when we submit it under these five, we realize that any good, thriving, healthy organization needs all of these types of people. 
But our model sometimes of ministry has convinced us or caused us to forget what was happening here in the fivefold ministry gift mix expressed in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's beautiful. And can I say this this morning? My primary strength in identifying and figuring out who I have been has not been the pastor. My primary strength is teacher. That's where I have identified my primary strength. And people might say, well, oh my gosh, we have a teacher as our pastor. How could this be? Why wouldn't it? No, you've, we've got to shove you. We've got to shove you into the shepherd. We've got to push you in there. When you're in a room full of people and you talk about the fivefold gifts and you're like, which one do you relate to? Or you're in a room full of, let's say, pastors, right? You know, you know what, which one, 95% of the room probably is going to lift their hands and saying, shepherd, shepherd, right? We're talking about gift and organizational leadership and gift mix. And when people think of this, they typically look at this and zone in and, and, and are lopsided on one specific gift, which many times in church culture is this idea of shepherd or pastor, which we obviously need as one of the five. And the one that we typically hear about the most. But what about the other four? Why are we missing out on the diversity? Why are we not expressing the fullness and the vision of what Jesus had? Why are we organizing with a preference enlisted within the beauty that's expressed in any healthy organization in the other four? And I think this is helpful because once again, you say, well, you're the, you're the lead pastor, so why wouldn't your primary gift be the shepherd? Well, this is once again where our semantics and our Christianese create confusion concerning our mission and our callings in the church because sometimes we swap words out. Sometimes we use language that doesn't describe the context of what's happening. You see, there's, there's governing authorities within the church. And up on the screen will be these two main governing authorities and governing titles that are given. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and both Philippians 1 describe two main governing titles established within the church. These two titles. First would be this word that is many times translated as overseer. Whoever desires to be an overseer. Desire is a noble thing. Overseer, many times translated in our English language as elder. Many times translated in our church culture and in our language as lead pastor. Senior pastor. Pastoral staff. You see, the governing authority, yes, is a title, is one that demands calling and confirmation but when we begin to swap words equally within context, we can so easily lose out because we've bought into the governing hierarchy of authorities that we miss out in the diversity of what God is wanting to establish and distribute as the witness and the fullness of Jesus to the world. There's also a second title of governing titles that's, that's given and referred to in the scripture called deacons. Deacons, also known as leaders. Also known as assisting the leadership of the church. We have many different expressions of that governing title within our context. Many times in leadership, it can be represented in so many different ways. For our context, small group leaders represent a deacon governing association of leadership. I think about our church council that helps with the financial assistance of the church. Another representative 
of the deacon type of authority and how we express church within our model. But this is governing authorities. And what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 5, or chapter 4, are gifts that express a beautiful organizational style that fully witnesses Jesus to the world. These are the roles every organization needs. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in the organization of our diversity. And Jesus was all these roles. Isn't that beautiful? When you got the jack of all trades, let's, let's think about this. Was he an apostle? You better believe Jesus was an apostle. He scaled something from a handful of guys to a few billion. Come on, somebody. He's the pioneer of all pioneers. He's the apostle of all apostles. He represents, was he a prophet? Absolutely. He spent most of his ministry confronting people that were trying to get people off mission and outside of the heart of God. He's like, stay on track. Love is premium. New covenant coming your way, one that's built off of my unlimited resource of love. A new command I give to you. Love one another like I have loved you. And when you're getting off the rails in your religious mumbo-jumbo and practices, I'm here to prophetically put you back into place. The greatest prophet of all time, Jesus. Was he an evangelist? You better believe it. He got murdered because of his influence. Nobody could point to the law that he was breaking. He was murdered because he had so much influence and following. The Roman Empire was like, we got to snuff this out. And we don't have any legal ways to justify this. So we're just going to murder him and figure out a way to murder him. Because this guy's so influential. The greatest evangelist of all time. Was he a shepherd? Oh my gosh. The best. His ministry was filled with spiritual nurturing. His ministry was filled with bringing hope to the darkest places. His ministry was filled with him graciously grabbing people and pushing them in the direction towards his heart and his mission for the world. Was he a teacher? Greatest of all time. Sometimes I feel like the best thing I can do on a Sunday is get up here, read the greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon of the Mount, and leave. He was the greatest. He was all these things. He was supreme in every area. Come on. The, the massive reality of who God is. Everything's under Jesus' feet. He's massive. He expresses the fullness of all these things. But now he's sending his church. Now he's sent his spirit. Now we are going to accomplish greater things than he ever did. Simply because he's like, I'm going to multiply myself into a community filled with the greatest resource, which is people filled by my power of presence, the same spirit that conquered the grave, to be sent ones out into the world, to be a diversity, to represent an organization that's going to push back on the gates of hell. But is this a systematic approach to gifts? This is a good question. Is this comprehensive in Ephesians 4? Or is it representative? Here's what I'll say. It's unclear. People die on these hills. Well, there's more gifts represented in the scriptures. Right. We, we, we teach a growth track called Spirit-Filled Life where we build a theology of the gifts. I don't want to die on those hills this morning. But what I do want, this, here's the, here's the hill, hill I want to die on this morning as, as, as we kind of wrap up, as we conclude, is can we agree that the purpose of gifts is to build up and equip the church to full maturity? I believe we can agree on that. I believe that's clear. Can we also agree 
that the only way we could practically fill every corner of society with the fullness of Jesus is if every believer plays their part. I think we can agree on that. I think Jesus organized us such in a way, not for the pyramid, not for the pastor to do everything in the church staff. No! It's not the style and the vision that we've seen up to Ephesians in this point, or up to this point. And if we agree to those things, then it makes sense that we need some organizational design in our churches for more, for the most effectively way to mobilize people. How do we send people? How do we launch people into the corners in the, of culture that only you, specifically in how God's created you to be, affect? I love what Todd Wilson and Larry Welkemeyer say. There's a quote from them in, in, in a resource that I was reading, and it says this. It says, regardless of our theology on specific gifts, we are wise to at least consider the pragmatic wisdom and the strengths represented within the, within the functions of gifts mentioned in describing the church and its people. We must see the unique roles within the gifts given by Jesus as important considerations when designing or organizing systems of the church, lest we miss key functions he intended. This is diversity and equipping us as missionaries versus one pastor and equipping us too hard. Right? Diversity, God's heart, his vision, equipping us to be those sent ones out in our corners of culture, which we can only serve the best of who God's created us to be versus top-down Equip us to huddle around one vision that has the potential to not actually wreck shop for God's kingdom in the world that we live in. Here's our commitment at our church that will be up on the screen. You can do it, we can help. Okay, so if we reverse that, we can do it, you can help. See, it sounds a lot like professional clergy, a hierarchy, and that to me it doesn't sound much like an Ephesians 4 hierarchy which unleashes missionaries. Missionaries. Each and every one of us where we work, learn, live, and play. But our commitment as a church body and a family to your growth, and your trajectory of growth is when we're saying, you can do it. We're going to help you. We want to help you. You're an everyday missionary where you live, work, learn, and play. How do you keep going? How do you stay encouraged? How do you get refueled in God's love? How do you identify who God's created you to be? How do you have resources to help you accomplish who God's created you specifically to be? We can't handhold you through that entire process. See, it's got to be connected with, the, with Jesus as the main motivator. But along the way, man, we're here to help. Help that become such a reality for you so that your specific, unique mission underneath the larger mission of the church could be accomplished where you live, work, learn, and play. And here's, here's, here's where we're going to flesh that out this morning. Here's how we can help you grow. And the first thing is this, is a long-term missionary game plan. Here's, here's what we're, we're trying to accomplish, is ongoing help to resource your primary and personal calling. Is how, how are we, we're always having these conversations now, is man, how does disciple making, how does making disciples, how does being a disciple, how is doing that wherever we're at, how, how do we actually accomplish that? Well, we're, we're looking into that. We want to help with that. We realize there's cracks kind of in some of the areas where we want to help you. And we also want to help you identify your personal calling. So these are some of the long-term things that we're working on and saying, hey, here's, here's areas where we want to get more intentional to help people live out their primary and personal calling. Being disciple makers wherever they're at, 
and also identifying that God's created you uniquely to do good works and deeds where you're most effective. That's our long term. But here's our, here's our short term, because I believe you can take a next step today. I, I believe this. And here's our short term missionary game plan. Make room for a next step. Time to do a little bit of spring cleaning. Because here's what I know is, is that there, your life might be filled to a capacity where you can't even make room for new rhythms. And I'd say this, you don't need to make a huge renovation and feel like you have to have the burden of making a massive renovation all at once. This is Jesus is saying, unpack a little bit, clean up a little bit, and make room for a new rhythm in your life. What that's going to look like, two main things that we're encouraging right now in this season of where we're at in our church calendar is join a ministry team. Once a month, serve on a Sunday morning. Serve other people and when we gather together corporately. Serve kids in our kids' ministry. Serve the coffee bar so people have a great first-time experience. Serve as a greeter, a parking lot attendant. Serve as an usher, right? Just serve one time a month. Make room for that. That's a, that's, that you're taking a step towards the long-term game of what it looks like for you to be a missionary. You're living out practices of what it means to serve other people and be Christ-like. The other thing we're really encouraging as a next step is, is our small groups. We just launched our small groups. And you taking a step into community as being a disciple, surrounding yourselves in community with other disciples is a step in the right direction towards the long-term goal. But I also want to say this in terms of what it means to be a missionary is I believe you got to make room. But here, here's the other thing, too, is people get to a point where they're like, I'm making room, I'm serving at church, I'm doing this. Here's, here's the other reality I think we need to receive is don't, don't feel like you need to add something to your plate. Figure out the ways to redeem your rhythms. You do stuff that sometimes people want to point fingers and you watch too much TV. Well, maybe next time you're watching TV, do it in community. Find other people that like the show that you watch. Rather than poo-pooing all over the fact that you're not a good person because you watch too much TV, bring other people with you. Redeem the rhythm that exists in your life. Redeem and be a missionary where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. Start building a filter for where your life rhythms already exist. You're going to have to cut out some time for the things of Jesus. I realize that. But what if we just chose to understand what our rhythms look like and how they can be redeemed in a direction where we invite other people into our space and we build relationships? The question I want to leave us with this morning, do you see yourself as a missionary? And if you didn't this morning when you walked in, my prayer is that you're leaving this place thinking a little bit differently about your rhythms in your life. Thinking a little bit differently about your rhythms of how you live. Thinking about your workplace. Thinking about your education, your classroom. Thinking about the things that you do for fun and how that opens a door for us to express and be the fullness of Jesus to the world that we live in. Do you see yourself as a missionary? Because Jesus does believes in you, and he's not going to leave you hanging, and he gives us an unlimited fuel source of his love, so even in the midst of the discouragement, even in the obstacles of feeling like we don't know what we're doing, he always comes alongside us, carries us when we need to be carried, and leads us on a trajectory deeper and deeper into God's heart, his mission to fulfill and be the fullness of Jesus to the world, the city demographics of where we live currently today in 2019. Amen? Can we pray this morning?